Welcome to Going Out Your Door, the podcast to get you out your door and on the road, coming to you for the first time ever from Colorado. This is really exciting. I've been here almost two weeks at this point. It does not feel like it. In some ways, it feels like I've been here so much longer, and in others, um, it feels like I just arrived. So it's been about 12 days since I touched down in Colorado. I had a really uneventful flight. Luckily, it was three flights. It took about 21 hours in total. Um, I was wearing a mask the whole time, as you have to. I think that was the longest stretch that I'd ever done with a mask on, plus several extra hours because, of course, I got to the airport early. So that was about 24 hours with a mask on. So uh, my ears were very sore, but more than happy to do it to try to stay safe. And really, it was uneventful. Like I said, all my flights were on time or a little bit early. I had no problem with my luggage or with passport control or security. I did get called for a random screening, but all they did was do the swipey thing where they run like the drug tests all over you um, and your luggage and then process it and make sure that you don't have any drugs on you. Uh, So I had that, but that was totally easy. And yeah, it was all things considered, like a really great trip, which sounds weird because I didn't sleep for like 36 hours, but it was awesome. Um, And then I spent one day at home with my mom and then the next day we immediately drove to the fire tower where my dad is a forest fire lookout and we spent a couple days up there with him just sort of like relaxing in the wilderness. They live at the top of kind of the classic fire tower that you might have seen in like cartoons or pictures or something like that. And my dad is in charge of scanning the horizon regularly to see if he can find smoke so they can deal with any fires, whether they're small or large at that point, that might have cropped up from lightning strikes or people or any of the other ways that fires can start. And he actually did find one while I was there uh, that had been started by a lightning strike. So that was actually really cool. And I can say really cool because it was easily contained, so it didn't turn into a big fire. But I got to see the whole process of him seeing it and calling it into the uh, firefighters and how they... Um, dealt with it. You know, the the helicopter came by and then a couple of planes came by to drop retardant on it. And my dad was in communication with like the ground teams that were trying to get there, but it was in such a location that it was hard for the, the ground teams to deal with it. So that's why they had the airplanes. And it was just really cool to see that whole process, especially since, unfortunately, fires are so bad this summer all around the world. And since being in Colorado, we've had a ton of smoke from the Utah and California fires, I think it is. Um, We live in the mountains here and the surrounding mountains have completely disappeared for a few days. We couldn't see them at all. The sky is just kind of this dingy, you know, yellow white color. Luckily, I don't notice it in the air, like I don't notice any difference breathing or coughing or air quality, but um, you can definitely see it. It's like sort of living in a fog, which is very odd. And today is actually one of our first clear days. I think yesterday was too, that we had really great views of the mountains again. And I'm back in my hometown. I left the fire tower last week. So 
I've been at home and unbelievably busy, which is surprising because you'd think I'd have nothing to do. I thought I would have nothing to do, but I've just been so busy exploring this town. And I didn't actually grow up here. My parents moved. So this is my hometown, but I'm not completely familiar with it. I haven't spent a lot of time here. So it's been kind of fun feeling like I'm exploring a new place, kind of the same way that I do when I travel and I get to check out all of the cafes and uh, restaurants and events and things like that. And of course, all of that has been affected by COVID, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit. But yeah, it's been really fun to just have this new experience here and and find all the cool, um, cool places and cool experiences. So with that in mind, what we're talking about today is reverse culture shock. Uh, Culture shock is what a lot of people think about when they think about traveling or moving to a new place. You know, you're thrust into this new environment with a different culture and language and every food and, you know, everything is different and that's a shock to you. And we kind of anticipate that. That is expected. And even though it can be really uncomfortable in lots of ways, especially if it's connected with homesickness. I think a lot of people kind of enjoy culture shock. I know I do. That's one of the things that I anticipate when I'm going to a new place is just that totally new environment. But reverse culture shock is something that we don't think about a lot, I think. You know, you assume that, well, you're going home, so everything's going to be normal again, and you're going to feel comfortable and relaxed, and you don't think that that experience might actually be stranger and less comfortable than going to a new place in the first place. So I think reverse reverse culture shock is a little bit underrated, which is why I wanted to talk about it today and tell you some of the ways that it's manifested for me um, and some of the ways that you can deal with it to make it a more enjoyable and less stressful experience when you come back from traveling or living in a different place. So reverse culture shock has a lot of different components. For me, I usually notice it in terms of practical things, like things that I'm seeing or doing and how those experiences are different than what I was used to in the other culture. Uh, But for other people, it can be a lot more mental and emotional where you're dealing with feelings and sadness and um, an inability to communicate or to express yourself. So there are lots of different ways that you can experience it. And I've sort of told you what it means to me. It's just that that feeling of coming home when you expect everything to be normal and you find that it's not normal or that you've forgotten what everything is like at home. But to give you an official definition, this is from Dean Foster, who is the founder and president of the DFA Intercultural Global Solutions, and he says that reverse culture shock is experienced when returning to a place that one expects to be home but actually is no longer, is far more subtle and therefore more difficult to manage than outbound shock precisely because it is unexpected and unanticipated. And that's sort of what I was saying before, is that like we anticipate things to be weird when we're going to another place. We don't expect them to be weird when we're coming home. So in a general list, here are some of the ways that reverse culture shock can manifest. You might find that 
no one wants to listen to you. And this is kind of the classic story that you hear, especially about like study abroad, if you've done study abroad in high school or college, and you come back and you're like, well, in Paris, it's like this, or in Paris, this is how they do it. And everyone's like, okay, you studied abroad for like a few months, chill out, stop telling us the way that it is in Paris. Um, And that's such a stereotype, and I do think it's ridiculous, but it is true that you've become used to this other environment and you want to talk about it. It's your only reference for things. But at the same time, that can get kind of tedious to the listener. And so they're like, all right, stop talking about it. But that's really frustrating because this was this big experience for you. So finding that people just don't really have any patience or any interest in your stories or don't want to listen to you can be a sign of reverse culture shock. Also, when you find that you want to talk about these things, you might find that you can't explain yourself. If other people haven't experienced what you have or don't have any reference points, it's hard to communicate your feelings or what you went through. Um, You might feel misunderstood quite a bit. Another thing, and this is something that I feel all the time for all the different places that I've lived is reverse homesickness. You know, we expect homesickness for your original home. (laughs) I feel like the terms in this are going to be really confusing. I should come up with specific words for your native country and your foreign country. But uh, you expect to be homesick for your native country and culture. What you might not expect when you come back is that you will equally feel homesick for your new foreign country and culture as well. And I have some fantastic tips for how to deal with that because that's definitely a real thing. Something else you might experience is that relationships have changed just between you and people in your native country or your native hometown. Maybe you didn't stay in touch quite as much as you meant to or, you know, people grow and people change. So those relationships might change as well. And that can be a shock or something that's really tough to deal with. Okay, the next one is huge for me. You might find that you have had a shift in attitude towards your home country's norms. As you travel, as you live in other places, your perspective might change or what you consider normal might change or your everyday life, your attitudes towards things. So when you come back, you might find that what you think about your culture or the way that they do things has shifted as well. Uh, You don't assume that it's normal anymore or you have a different perspective. I know I'm speaking in like super vague terms and I do have some concrete stories for you in a little bit. So they might make uh, this might make a little bit more sense in a few minutes. Um, But yeah, you you might find that you have a different attitude towards things in your home country and that can be really uncomfortable, but it's also really normal as well. And the last thing, which again is totally a thing for me, is forgetting things about your home country that now surprise you. I think this is the way that reverse culture shock manifests the most for me. I see things when I come back that I grew up with that are totally normal, but I've just forgotten about them because they haven't been a part of my life in a year or two years or three years. And That can be, again, uncomfortable or unexpected where you're like, oh, that's so weird. But at the same time, it's totally normal because it's something you grew up with. So that sort of dichotomy is definitely odd. 
And just to tack on to the end of that, you can also experience this reverse culture shock because your actual circumstances have changed, not just because of the culture, but for example, for me, coming back from Taiwan, I just moved from a city of 7 million people to a really small town in the mountains. So, you know, take country, take culture out of it um, in terms of Taiwan versus America or anything like that. But just that change from like a really big metropolitan city to a really small town is huge. And that can be really tough to deal with as well. All right, so those were some of the vague general ways that reverse culture shock can manifest, but here are some of the specific things that I've noticed, especially this time, but also in previous returns that I've made to the U.S. One thing that is always very shocking to me, and it can, sometimes it's in a good way, sometimes it's in a really overwhelming way, is grocery stores. And I don't mean to say that other countries or Taiwan specifically don't have like really big abundant grocery stores because they do, you know, like Taiwan has fantastic grocery stores. There's also Costco, you know, there's also Carrefour. So they do, but there's something different about them. I always find walking into an American grocery store for the first time really overwhelming. There's just something about like the the scope of it or the variety of products that are available, variety, but also like different brands of the same thing. You know, when I came back from Taiwan last time I moved to Boston, what really shocked me the most, I always quote this as my biggest moment of reverse culture shock that time, was the yogurt aisle at Whole Foods. (laughs) I walked into the yogurt aisle at Whole Foods and was just like astounded that there was an entire aisle just for yogurt. I was like, how do I possibly choose what yogurt I want from all of this? Uh, This time it was the frozen food, the frozen pizza aisle at a grocery store here. Um, I was just like, look at all these frozen pizzas. We have so many frozen pizzas here. And I think that is how I often experience reverse culture shock is these really small, unimportant things that surprise you or overwhelm you or just completely mind-boggling in a way. So last time it was yogurt, this time it was frozen pizza, which is kind of funny. Um, Another thing that is an adjustment for me when I come back is saying hi to people. Um, When I live in other places, I think especially when I live in big cities, you know, you're a little bit more anonymous Although there is this weird fact that I did stand out visually as a foreigner in Taiwan. You know, I'm I'm blonde, <laughs> I'm an American. So I did really stand out in that way. And people would approach me on the street sometimes like just to say hi or to ask if I uh, offered English classes or anything like that. But at the same time, being in that big city does have that level of anonymity. So I never felt like I had to talk to people on the streets. Um, When I moved to Europe the first time, they specifically said, you need to try, not me personally, but all of the people I was with, you need to try to not smile as much to people on the street because Europeans don't like go out of their way to smile and nod or say hi. And that is viewed very differently there. That's like, hey, I want to strike up a conversation, not hey, we're just two strangers passing on the street and this is what we do like it is in America. 
Um, so especially here in this small town, when I'm out and about with my parents, my mom especially, she's so friendly. She says hi to absolutely everyone and not just like, hi, she'll be like, hi, how are you doing? Beautiful day today, you know, lovely morning. And I always have to ask her afterwards, like, do you actually know that person or are you just being friendly? And it's about a 50-50 split. Sometimes she does know them and sometimes, no, it's just a stranger and, that's that's just what you do. That's the American way is say hi to everyone, be nice to everyone, um, except in certain circumstances. But we won't go down that path. You know, Americans are known for generally being very gregarious and outgoing and friendly. And that is a huge adjustment for me when I come back. Often I find I'm walking down the street and I just kind of want to be like, uh, I just I'm just going for a walk. Don't talk to me. Just let me do my thing. Um And I have to make that adjustment to remembering that, like, I do like interacting with people. It is nice to say hi to people randomly sometimes. A couple of other random things that are always an adjustment for me are cars stopping at crosswalks. (laughs) And again, this varies totally depending on what country you're in or even, like, what American city you're in. But generally, in Taiwan, you cannot assume that a car is going to stop for you, even if you're at a crosswalk with the right of way. Whereas in America, in in the cities or towns that I've been in, when I come back, people just like walk out in front of the car and I'm like, hold on, the car, we have to wait. We have to make sure the car is going to stop. And they're like, no, like it's a crosswalk. We have the walking sign. <laughs> and that is always a little bit alarming to me when I come back. Um, Another thing which this just got me today when I was buying something is sales tax. When other countries don't have sales tax, you can always count on paying exactly the amount that is on the price tag. And that happened to me today. We were out to breakfast and this cafe had some really cute stickers that are all about like hiking and traveling. And I wanted to buy a sticker for my computer. And it was $3.99, which first of all, let's just say that is way too expensive for a sticker. Um... Another thing is American prices are a lot higher. But anyway, so I was like, okay, I'll buy this sticker for $3.99. I have $4. Perfect. I go up to the counter and she's like, it's going to be uh, $4.23. I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot about sales tax again. So that's very frustrating. That's something I don't think should exist or it should be factored in, into the price. But I know that's going to continue to be an adjustment adjustment for me. I know that's going to continue to be an adjustment for me, and I'm going to keep forgetting it and being frustratingly surprised by it. And speaking of prices, another thing that surprised me again is just like food is so expensive here, so much more expensive, but let's not even talk about that. Cream in your coffee. Every time I order coffee here, they ask me if I want room for cream. That was never something I was asked in Taiwan. It was always just exactly what you order. You get that. You get the coffee. You get the Americano, whatever it is. Um, Not used to being asked if I want room in my coffee. And finally, this is specific to Taiwan. Um, So one really fun fact about Taiwan is that All of the receipts that you get are actually lottery tickets. There's this thing called the receipt lottery, at least that's what I call it, uh, where every two months they release a bunch of numbers and all of the receipts also have numbers on them. So 
There are apps that can do this, but I like to manually sit down and check all my receipts to see if you've won. And there are all different levels of prizes from like the equivalent of like $6 USD all the way up to the grand prize, which comes out to about 330,000 USD. Yes, I do know that number because I am convinced every cycle that I am going to win the grand prize. Um, And then, of course, all different amounts in between as well. So that's something that's like really fun. I love that about Taiwan. And it means that you always take your receipt. Uh, So here, whenever they ask if you want a receipt, I'm like, yeah, and grab it. And then I realize I just have trash now and I have to throw it away. Um, And it's not, in fact, a chance to win $330,000, which is a major bummer. So most of these things that I've talked about so far are things that I kind of forgot about America or forgot about my hometown. There can also be things that changed while you were gone, which can be a huge reverse culture shock because it's not something that you ever experienced before. And a really small, unimportant example of this for me is paying for things. I think like the past few years while I've been away, America really adapted to uh, like the square or like paying like with the iPad thing and you put your card in with the chip and you know they face it towards you as the customer I don't even know what it's called that's <laughs> I need to figure it out um that was I'm only barely starting to become a thing when I left and so when I came back my mom and I were out for coffee one day and I was like oh hey I'll buy the coffee and then I realized I had no idea how to pay for it <laughs> I was like, I don't even, do I use cash? Do I use my card? If I use my card, what what do I even do? Um, So I figured that out. I'm still not used to it, but I do know how it works. And that was just something that changed while I was gone. And it's not really a thing in Taiwan right now. I'm sure it is in some places, but generally I just mostly used cash. Um, If I had to use my card, I would use my my, uh, debit card and they would do the cardless transaction where you just put the card on the credit card reader. And I think that's mostly how people do it. They also use their phones. There's like all the line pay and different apps and things like that. So that's how a lot of other people did it. I never got into the phone stuff. Um, But yeah, that kind of like iPad square card reader, uh, as far as I know, is not really prevalent in Taiwan. So that was kind of surprising to me when I came back. But a much bigger example of something changing while you were gone is COVID. And that has definitely been an adjustment. And I knew it would be, you know, I knew that the American response and situation with COVID was very different than Taiwan. Uh, And it's funny because when I made the decision to move back, so my decision to move back was completely unrelated to COVID whatsoever. It just so happened that as I was making that decision and finalizing my plans, Taiwan was having their first biggest outbreak of COVID in the past year and a half. You know, I've said many times we were almost completely safe from it for all of 2020 and the first few months of 2021. And then in May, we had our first big or, you know, decent sized outbreak where we got put in almost lockdown. (laughs) It wasn't even real lockdown, but you know, I've talked about this before. A lot of things closed and we had a lot of restrictions. And at the same time, things were kind of lightening up in America. Vaccines were getting, you know, out there, distributed, put into people, and a lot of restrictions were lifting. And it seemed like there was kind of light at the end of the tunnel. And 
that was just a happy coincidence. I was like, hey, I get to leave this this lockdown situation in Taiwan and go back to America, get my vaccine where everything's looking a little bit better. A few months later, by the time I left Taiwan, the case numbers were really low. I think the week that I left, they were having about 10, 12, 15 new cases every day in the entire country. And the Delta variant was starting to surge across America. So the situation had kind of reversed itself where I was once again leaving a safer place to go to a less safe place. So I arrived in the States and within probably two hours of landing, I had my first shot. Actually, we stopped at a pharmacy on the way home so I could get it, but I'm still not fully vaccinated. And so I still wear a mask whenever I am indoors or whenever I am in closer contact with people. But even then, it's strange because that's far less of a restriction than I had in Taiwan in a safer environment. Um, You know, when I was in Taiwan for the past few months, we had a mask mandate where you had to wear it consistently anytime you were out of your house. Uh, So that went for, for everyone, regardless of vaccination status, because not many people in Taiwan are vaccinated. So it's very weird here to know that I am at risk and There is more of the virus around me, and yet I'm allowed to go maskless out in public. And of course, I don't have to. I could wear my mask 100% of the time outside, um, but I don't because that's not the requirement. And often, like I'm in a really small town, so often when I'm outside, there's no one else around, and I do wear it anytime I'm with other people. And at first, I was totally fine with that. You know, I I didn't really have an emotional reaction to it. I knew I was following the American regulations. I was also doing my best to be generally safe about it as well. There was one time that it did hit me really hard. Uh, We went to a farmer's market, an outdoor farmer's market, and... I was wearing my mask. My mom was wearing her mask. She's fully vaccinated, but she does so kind of in solidarity with me, but also because she knows that it is the smarter thing to do. So we were outside, we were masked, and we went to this farmer's market. No one else was wearing a mask because, again, outside, if they're vaccinated, they don't have to. But I just saw this these people, it wasn't even a huge crowd. That's what was so funny. But I just saw, you know, probably dozens of people for the first time together, maskless, hugging, interacting, talking. And I just had this reaction. I can't even describe it. Just I just started crying immediately and felt this intense anxiety where I was just trying to shrink and keep myself as far away from other people as possible. Um, And luckily, my mom immediately saw it and was like, "Okay, go home. (laughs) You can't deal with this right now. That's fine. Uh, So I did. I immediately left. But that's just one example of how things have changed. I mean, the pandemic, (laughs) the pandemic has affected all of us so much. And so this isn't specifically a reverse culture shock experience, except that it is for me because this is not something, you know, the rest of America has gone through this for the past year and I haven't. And so I'm being put in this unfamiliar situation, um, you know, with my not completely vaccinated status and seeing interactions that are normal to the rest of the people living here that to me are still kind of shocking and still seem very, very risky, even though hopefully everyone there was vaccinated. And one of my friends put it really well when I was describing this to her. And I'm like, I just I don't know why I like broke down like this. And she said, well, 
You're not just experiencing reverse culture shock right now. You're experiencing COVID culture shock. Like this is a culture shock for you. This is not something that you had encountered before. And I really appreciated that perspective of it, sort of folding it into the culture shock or reverse culture shock of it all. Um, It's definitely connected to that whole experience. It's its own thing for sure, but it is related to that. And I really appreciate that framing of it. So I feel like on top of all of the normal reverse culture shock things, there's also the COVID culture shock. And I I would be fascinated to hear if anyone else has had any experience like that where you've been put in a different COVID environment than one that you had previously spent time in and sort of how that affected you. I would be very, very curious. So please, please send me those emails, send me those messages, let me know. So All of that being said, all the different ways that reverse culture shock can manifest in quote-unquote normal ways, also in pandemic times, here are some suggestions for how to deal with it. And these are some ideas that I found doing research, and these are also things that I have put into practice myself over the years. Okay, this first one is a little bit like floofy-floofy, but try to see the beauty in your home. Don't just come home and expect it to feel normal because it's home and, you know, you grew up there maybe or you're you're with your family and all of that. But really try to see it maybe as you would see a different culture or a different place. And that's kind of what I've been doing here is like I love exploring this town the same way that I would um, a different destination if I was traveling And I think that can help ease maybe some of like the disappointment or the boredom that you might feel being back in your home. Um, Really try to see it for what's unique and what's special about it. Also, don't try to compare the two places. (laughs) Don't try to compare your hometown to the place that you were, were before because it's just not useful and it's probably going to end up making you feel disappointed or something like that, you know. There's lots of things that were more convenient for me in Taiwan that were easier in Taiwan, Uh, lots of things that I miss, but there's also so many things that I have here that I didn't have there, but I'm not going to sit down and try to figure out like which one is better. I'm just going to appreciate where I am at the moment and don't even try to go back and forth thinking about it because it's just not useful and you're just going to be dwelling in that that you know, comparison or dissatisfaction. So don't compare two places or any of the places that you've been with where you are now. Thirdly, surround yourself with people who are supportive and do want to hear about your experience. I'm so lucky in that my family and my friends do like hearing my stories, I think, either that or they're just very good at faking it, which I also appreciate. Um, And I try to be sensitive as well. Like, I do talk about Taiwan a lot. I do talk about a lot of my experiences in other countries, but I try to be aware of just how many times I'm saying, like, well, in Taiwan or in Taipei, it's like this. (laughs) Just try to be cognizant of that. But also having those people who are not getting frustrated with you and who are sympathetic to this big change that you've gone through and do genuinely like hearing about other places, that can make a huge difference in your reverse culture shock experience. I'm fortunate. I I don't think I've ever had someone who got frustrated with me for talking too much about the place that I was or didn't want to hear about it. So I think I've been very lucky in that sense. But the more you can find people who are appreciative, the better you will feel. 
Okay, this is one of my favorite tips. I love doing this. Incorporate the international culture and routine into your at home or hometown uh, routine and culture as well. So if you can cook foods that you used to eat in the place that you were or incorporate like little traditions or little customs. For example, if you were in Asia, maybe you're going to continue taking off your shoes at the door. Or if you were in Europe, like maybe you'll keep eating later dinners or something like that. Anything that you can do to, you know, maintain that familiarity or maintain the things that you genuinely liked or preferred about the other place, um, that's just going to make your whole life better as a whole because you, you know, you like those things. So that's one way of sort of continuing the experience or maintaining those things that you really liked and it can help you feel closer and sort of not feel that reverse homesickness that we talked about before. Another thing you might do related to that is See if you can find a community for that culture that you were in, like any clubs or groups or sports or dance classes or something that you did while you were abroad that you can maintain um, at home or anyone who also understands that culture or spent time in that country. That can also make you feel far less isolated. The last time I came back from Taiwan, I moved to Boston and I got so excited when I went to Boston's Chinatown because it's actually more of a Taiwanese town than a Chinatown and the big fancy elaborate gate at the entrance was actually donated by Taiwan and just all of the familiar food and you know architecture and stores and everything there made me so happy so anything you can find that reminds you of that place that you were can really just be amazing and can really help alleviate that um, that sadness or anything that you feel at coming back or having to leave those things. One thing that happens when you travel is that you change as a person. You know, your worldview changes, your perspective changes, but also you might find that you are now like more confident or more flexible or open-minded or any of these things that will develop as you experience other cultures or as you have to deal with travel or living in a place where you don't speak the language, like you are going to become more capable as a human being. So Embrace those positive personality changes, like recognize how they can help you or how they can continue to help you in your life, regardless of where you are in the world. And the next tip, which I also really love doing, is preserve your experience. So one thing that I always do when I come back from what I call like a stint abroad, which is usually like a year or a few years in a place or a couple different places, I make scrapbooks. So while I'm traveling or while I'm living abroad, I'm constantly collecting like business cards and postcards and brochures and receipts and all of those things. And I make it into a big scrapbook when I come back also with pictures. And not only for me is that super fun to do, (laughs) I love the process of making a scrapbook, but it gives you sort of that that thing to memorialize the experience that you can turn back to when you're feeling that reverse homesickness or, you know, when you want to revisit those memories. And finally, my favorite last tip is to plan your next trip. If you are feeling frustrated at coming home, maybe you know that you didn't move back permanently like me, start thinking about the future. Where are you going to go next? How can you continue that that travel mindset, that adventure mindset, um, 
that can really, really alleviate some of the negative feelings associated with reverse culture shock. So we are always planning the next trip. Um, I know I am for sure. I'll let you in on my plans a little bit later. So that brings us to the end of this episode. If you have spent time abroad and struggled coming back or had any of those funny, weird reverse culture shock experiences like frozen pizza or yogurt at Whole Foods, I would really, really love to hear those stories. You can send any messages to goingoutyourdoortravel at gmail.com and find me on Instagram and Facebook at goingoutyourdoor and on Twitter at goingoutyour. I would also love love any reviews on Apple Podcasts. I always forget to mention that, but that would be fantastic if you are on Apple. And we will talk more travel next time on Going Out Your Door. 